Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me all right. Is there any feedback on that? Is that okay? Oh, sometimes. Well, good morning, church. Um, my name is Jesse. Um, if you haven't met me, I'm one of the elders here at the church. Uh, if you were thinking it's Pastor Dell, because, you know, the beard's a different color, you can kind of thought it's something's a little off. Uh, his voice is a little under the weather, and so uh, we were talking this week. Uh, he was barely talking this week, but um, he asked me to, to step in today, and I'm happy to do so. Um, if some of you remember, we did a sermon... Was anybody here for that ice storm sermon? I think it was. Was that earlier this year when it was like there was just like sheets of ice and we kind of canceled church? So I did a, a sermon there and, um, well, we had lots of uh, follow-up sermons. And so um, Pastor asked and I was happy to, to take the opportunity. It's, um, I'll tell you, a little nerve-wracking. I've been public speaking for about 16 years in my normal career, but it's different because when you're doing that, people are hiring me to tell them what I think, and this is the exact opposite. And so, like, my biggest fear is that I would get in the way. So uh, join me in a little bit of prayer right now for the sermon that the word would go through. Uh, Lord, I, th I thank you for this time. I thank you for this congregation that we can gather together as brothers and sisters and study your word, Lord. And it is uh, such a difficult world right now, Lord. It is uh, ever-changing and seems to just continue to descend into darkness. It's difficult to fight the fight. And I just pray that your word come through. I ask that you... You use this broken vessel, Lord, and speak your truths that you, you pass me and that the Spirit, uh, that we focus on your word and that your, uh, your word reach the people, that they hear your voice and that they respond and that we be strengthened. In your name, we bring all these requests. Amen. All right, so um, you might notice there's some Bibles underneath. As I said, I kind of stepped in, so we didn't have time to do slides. If you check under your seats, you just might find a Bible there, and we are going to cover a bit of Scripture. So if you would, go ahead and grab that one if you don't have your own. Uh, we're going to be jumping into uh, Genesis 3, which I was, I was talking to my wife, and uh, she said, you know, it's funny that you would pick that, because she said, if she could pick my favorite one, it's Genesis 3. So funny enough that we ended up there. I think this, this chapter just is so rich in such a small portion, it basically gives us almost the the entirety of what's going to come, and um, the foreshadowing. So in your, it uh, should be easy to find in those Bibles, it's page three. So just start at the beginning and go to page three, and you should be all right there. I, I did, I wrote some of the page numbers down to help some of you guys with that. We'll jump around a little bit. But um, to kind of bring you up to speed, before we jump into chapter three of Genesis, I'll, I'll give you a quick little review of, of where we are at. So Genesis one, this is in the beginning, and this is brought to us through Moses. We know that God created the heavens and the earth, right? I'm just going to kind of speed through one and two just so we're all on the same page for where we're picking up on three. God said, let there be light. He called the light day, the darkness night. He separated the water. So we have the sky. We have the dry land that comes in. We've got the animals. We've got the vegetation. We've got seed-bearing plants. We've got uh, uh, animals that are now able to procreate in their kind. We've got the water teeming with creatures. Uh, the land is producing all kinds of animals according to their kind, livestock according to their kind. And um, then God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So man is created. He's created in God's image. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So man is now the, the in charge of this whole creation that we've got here. Um, and God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food. Which I think it's interesting to note that we've got our vegetarians here. This is at a time uh, before death had occurred and, and the plants and everything had all the nutrients that we needed. So I think that's kind of cool for my vegetarians out there. Um, I give every green plant for food and it was so, going into chapter two. Now God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. The trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And now here, in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? So we've got this perfect utopia. Everything is good exactly as God intended it. Here's where we sit. We have these two trees, tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Here we see this command. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. All right? 
So man has this entire utopia. Like this is, this is perfect. And to me, it's like you, could, you got a picture. They're running around butt naked, no mosquitoes or anything to worry about. This is like, this is it. This is, this is where we were meant to live, right? This is the perfect place. And there was just the one command, which was to not eat of that one tree. You have this entire thing, but just this one tree. That was the command that God gave them. Now, we're going to pick up in chapter 3. So you can kind of follow along, and we're going to see uh, what unfolds after this point. All right? And I would say this before I jump into that. The communion that we have with God as of this point is unison. There is, there is no sin in the world. There is no separation between our relationship spiritually and physically with God. And we're even going to see that God, God walked with Adam and Eve. They knew him well. It wasn't some distant God that some of us feel we have now. This was, this was a very present and perfect utopia. Let's pick up in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, just you know, feel free to close your eyes and, and focus on it. There's nothing I can say that's more important than what we're about to read, which is the word. All right, chapter 3, the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know what? 43, I'm just getting used to putting these on. <laughs> the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, cert you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So much in this chapter. We'll do our best to pull some of this out. So, in the start of the chapter, we see the introduction to the serpent, right? The serpent, who is Satan, the devil of old, as he is talked about, the one who is deceived. Prior to this point, Satan had already been cast out. There was a rebellion. Satan says, I'm as, I'm as good as God, right? He says, I should be the one making the rules, and God casts him out. There's been the fall. And as Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him that followed him, the rebellion, right? So we've got that Satan, that devil who's rebelling against God, showing up here in the Garden of Eden. And I always kind of picture this kind of funny. I don't, I don't know what it was like back then, but you can imagine this, this serpent that just kind of creeps out from outside the tree and starts talking to you. You, know, you might be like, huh! You know, and he walks out. And, and this is interesting because what I think is held right here is like Deception 101. This is like, this is the first time that we really have an account of how Satan uh, approaches us as humans to get us off track, to get us off the path of God and to get us to follow his path, which leads to death. And look how he does this. Right, right there in chapter 3, he, he, he says to the woman, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And you can, you can almost hear the inflection on it, like, what kind of God would do that? Did God really say you, you, you can't? You can't do this? Did God say you cannot eat from any of the trees? You see how he exaggerates that. Did God say you can't have any of this stuff, all this nice stuff? God's going to keep you from that? And Eve says, she responds, she says, well, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, that's interesting. Satan's response, you will not certainly die. And you've got to understand that the way Satan is, is approaching her right now, this isn't the, the horns that the world would have us believe he looks like, right? This is a, I'm on your side. What, what kind of God... Would, would keep something from you. She said, well, he's only keeping that one tree from us. You see how she's already, already trailing down that, and that's the first thing. He puts these ideas in your head that, that maybe God isn't all good. Maybe, maybe everything he says isn't all true, and maybe God is up for questioning. And do we notice that? That continues, isn't it? This whole society, the world continues to question, who is God? And here you see where that begins. And Satan goes from a, from that, he says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's really where things get tricky there. Because the best deceptions involve what? Truth. The best deceptions involve truth. And this is what is scary. And what we're seeing going on in our churches right now, what we're seeing going on with the word of God is they're going, I'll take some of that but get rid of some of it. They take some away. All of a sudden, it doesn't become the truth. Or they say, I'll take that, but you got to put a few things in there. It was written a long time ago. Also deception. You get that? And that's where it's tricky. I think um, one of those, one of those, you ever heard the, um, the golden rule? You guys familiar with the golden rule? It's, it's very often attributed to Jesus, and it's, it's what? Love thy neighbor as thyself, Right? And, and we know that that's like a well-known, understood, and even people that kind of have some knowledge of the Scripture, they go, they get that. But here's where the problem is. That's the second half of that commandment. And we don't pay attention to that first commandment, which is love the Lord your God above all. And the attachment, love thy neighbor like themselves. You see how there's just a little missing there, isn't there? But it's not a little. It's a lot. And it sounds good. And we like to to create a culture that God is, is love and he wants us to love our neighbor and accept all the things that are going on. And that is true. We are to love our neighbor, but we're to love our God first. That's the first part of that. And that's the kind of stuff Satan loves to leave out. Because if you love the Lord your God, what's going to follow love? Obedience. But you get rid of that first half. I'm just loving my neighbor. You're okay. I'm okay. All of a sudden, the accountability changes. You see, it's just those are the ones you got to watch out for where it still has some truth. He says, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when they ate, they did. But the difference was they weren't like God, knowing good and evil. They were 
indwelled with sin now. Sin was now attached to them. It was in them. The evil entered mankind at this point. That wasn't how God knew evil. God is separate from sin. So he weaves that in. Did they have a, gained, a, a, a higher knowledge? Yes. But you see how he twists that. That's the, the biggest deceptions that are out there. Always have a little bit of truth in them. So then going to six, he said, when the woman ate the tree, uh, I mean, when the woman saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and she was designed to gain, gain wisdom, she ate it, gave it to her husband, and the eyes of them were both opened, and they realized they were naked. That's the, that's the change. It's not that there was, this was some magical fruit. That's not the point here. I know people try to spend time on, well, what kind of fruit was that? It doesn't matter. It, the, the point is not the object. The point is that God said do this, don't do that, and they disobeyed God. That's, if you just want like a quick definition of what is sin, what does it mean? A lot of people try to focus on what the little sin, the sin is disobeying God, disobeying his word. That's what happened here. She was, I don't think at this point going, I reject God, I refuse God. I, I, she was just kind of going, well, maybe God doesn't know all this stuff, and I'm going to try Satan's way. I'm going to try the world's way to finding out what's best for me. This is where sin entered the world. When we start putting our faith and our trust in what we think and what the world thinks versus what God has said, this is where trouble began. This is where it is. And the eyes of them were open. And they realized they were naked. This is where the, the shame and the understanding comes in. Okay? So sin has now grabbed a hold of us because of this. All right? Now, what do we do about that? My feedback here. Here's what they do. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They sold fig leaves. So they realized that there had been a, a, a drop. They realized that now there was, there was something wrong. And what is their attempt? What's all of our attempt? Do you ever have that? A little kid, like your, your son or daughter, somebody breaks something, they try to like sweep it under, under the couch or something. You try to pretend it's not there. They try to cover it. So they take these leaves, and they're trying to cover their sin with their own hands. They're trying to fix it. They realize they've messed up and they messed up bad. And they realize that when they realize their shame, that's the moment they go, shoot, we just listened to this serpent, Satan, and look, look what it's already caused. And I think at that moment when they realize that, they realize they should have been listening to God the whole time and not have given room for this deceiver to come in. But it was far too late by then. So they covered themselves with these fig leaves. And then, hear this, the man and his wife heard the, the, the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a main point of it, but I think it is interesting to say that they heard the Lord walking in the cool of the day. I imagine you'd have to have feet. I don't know what else he was walking on. But we were made in his image. And I just always thought that was kind of interesting there, that we are made in the image of God. And they hear him walking in the cool of the day. Now, God knows where they are. He's omniscient, okay? And I think it's interesting that when we sin, God always gives us that opportunity to repent, to confess our sins to him. And we see that come up here. God knows where they are. It's not like, you know, they're hiding behind some bush and he can't genuinely find Adam. He says, where are you? He's giving Adam that opportunity to come forward. So uh, they hid from the Lord in the garden, and the Lord called them, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that's what sin tends to do to us. Sometimes when we go through those dry seasons where we don't feel that presence of God, it's because we've got too much sin wrapped around our life. And it actually makes us want to hide from the face of God. It makes us want to get behind a little tree and get some fig leaves. And we're the ones creating that separation because we're living lives filled with sin. That's something that's a very natural reaction for us as humans to do that. Why are most of the, they say that the, the darkness is at night, right? Why is it we're, we're hiding? The darkness has no relation to that light. We want to hide that. And this we see Adam doing exactly that. I, I knew something was wrong, so I hid from you. And he said, who told you we're naked? Have you tree, eaten from the tree? I commanded you not to. Now, again, do you really think that this omniscient Lord did not know that Adam had just eaten from that tree? So what is he doing here? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And I imagine if Adam said something like this, Lord, I did. I, 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 had, I was weak and I listened to Satan and I, and I went the wrong way and I'm sorry and I, 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 forgive me for what I've done. 
Have mercy on me. I think we might be living in a slightly different world right now if that had been said. But that's not what Adam said. What did he say? He said, this is just, this is just tough. It's tough to even read. He said, the woman you, God, put here with me. What? When I read that way back when, I thought he was blaming the woman at first. And I thought, well, that's bad enough. But you know, I do that every now and then. You know, it's not my wife's fault. You know, no, but, but he doesn't even blame the woman. He blames God. If you hadn't given me this woman I didn't even ask for, this wouldn't have happened. I'm missing a rib now. Whatever it might be. I just, I'm, I'm flat. But we do that, don't we? We blame God. All the bad stuff in the world, that's, that's God. What kind of God would do that? Not even taking the responsibility that we've been tarnishing this place since then. We blame God. He did it then and we still do it today. Ooh, 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 nasty. All right. So that's what he said. Uh, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God, he turns to the woman. Okay, Adam, strike, swing and a miss. Right? Had a chance to confess, blew it. Let's see how the woman does, okay? Now, I think she does a little better, a little better. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. At least she didn't blame God. At least she, she said, it. I was deceived and I ate. I think that's a little better. But still, kind of an excuse. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, doesn't even give the serpent. Serpent's long had his time. That, that's over. He doesn't even give him a chance to, you know, <laughs> you notice that? Adam, here's your chance. Eve, here's your chance. Certain, he's done with the serpent. He's not even going to give him a shot. We already been through this, okay? So the serpent gets his curses, and we, we take a look at these curses because they're still such a big impact on us today, and I think you, we would save ourselves some frustration to understand why we live in the world it is. As believers and as Christians, as we follow the faith, we want to live in a way that, that shows the light of Christ, shows the love of Christ, shows the mercy of Christ, but don't be confused in thinking that we're, we're here to change the social issues and control and get this world to line up with that. That's God's work. Okay, so as we look at this, the curse, let's just see how this happens here. So this is first the serpent getting his curse. Cursed are you above all the animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Okay, that's not so crazy. Now check this out. This is probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, as, and this is just the mercy of God, as he's doling out the, the punishment for the sin, right? Sin, disobedience, there's going to be consequences. As he's delivering that, he's, he's intertwining mercy in there. Did you catch that? He goes from the serpent in eating dust to a person, an individual. He will crush your head. He, that speaks of Jesus Christ. That speaks of the Son of God who is to come. This is the first promise we see that there will be a Redeemer who comes to pull us from the state we've just put ourselves in. He will crush your head, and that is considered a death blow. If you were to crush someone's head, that is a death blow. He, Jesus, will defeat Satan in a way that is a death blow. He will, he will defeat him for all eternity. However, you will strike his heel, his heel, right? Because not a death blow, but probably uncomfortable, especially if you get him an Achilles. Ooh, it's rough. Right? So we know that Satan will strike Jesus on the heel, as we saw with the cross, but he overcomes that. And I just I love that passage there that, that right now Satan is getting his judgment. You will be defeated for all time. And I will do it through Jesus, who will crush your head. That's Satan's, that's his end. I know we're still dealing with this, this Satan. I know we're still dealing with these demons. I know we're dealing with the temptations. And he's got kind of a little bit of a rain running around in this world. But all the way back here, it was already predetermined. We've already won the war. Jesus has already overcome. This is before he was even born. God said it. That's exactly what happened. To the woman. To the woman. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to your children. I don't know if that needs a whole lot of expanding. If any of you have ever been through this, um, 
Obviously, I have not personally been through it, but um, my wife, when she went into labor with our son, uh, we didn't make it in time to get the epidural. Like, you know, we got there, and she did this natural birth, and man, I've never been more proud of her, but like, there was, she, this, oh, oh. I, I think this verse rings very true, and I think you would agree. And here's one that I, I just hope to help you. Your desire will be for your husband, and he'll rule over you. He's not cursing Eve with this desire for her husband. What may I do for you, honey? Can I help you with something? That's not the curse that we're seeing here. This is the curse of the power struggle that we continue to suffer from now, where the wife wants to rule over the man, and the man wants to subdue the wife. Conflict, right? And I, I just think this does us a little bit of... Uh, 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 it's useful to us to pay attention to that, especially those of us that are, are married, because to think that we're arguing and my wife and I are having issues, I look at this and I know exactly why that is. But the world would tell me, I just haven't found the right partner yet. The world would tell me, she's not the one for you. There's going to be somebody else out there that's not going to drive you as crazy. There's going to be the one that one out there that doesn't fight you so much. The world has you looking for this solution like it's the right mate or what do you call those, the meat finders or the mingles, something. But they got all these programs now to match you up with the one where this doesn't happen. Anybody that's been in a relationship for any amount of time knows that's just not true. That's just not true. We're fallen beings. And being married, we're still two falling beings being married. And here's where you see that. The next time... You're in an argument with your spouse, and you're thinking it's all them, and they're thinking it's all you. Let's step back a little bit and remember, we, we got this as a lot deeper than any two individuals are, right? So I think that's neat there. And then Adam. Now we get to Adam, who I, I think is held more accountable, if you will, than Eve, although she was held accountable as well. Adam got the direct revelation from God. to He was told by God, don't eat that. Um, Eve, I, I don't know if Adam would have been the one to tell her, but certainly Adam as the head of the house here, um, you can see he, he not only brings curses on himself, but he actually brings it on the entire world. Let's take a look at that. I'm going to put my time there, otherwise we're going to be here till the Bears game. Not that you need to go watch them. Wait, are they playing the Vikings? Yeah. Maybe they'll win. Otherwise you're going to watch them lose. I'm from Milwaukee, that's what's... Okay. <laughs> All right, to, the, uh, to, the, to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from, the the, ate from the fruit of the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from. All right, now I'll just go there for a second. Uh, don't, uh, don't stop halfway through this. I've seen people abuse this, mostly men. Because you listened to your wife. You notice there's not a period after that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point here. Husbands, we are to listen and counsel. There, there's there's a, a balance there. We work together. We, we fulfill each other. That, that's very good. God created us to match that way. But that's not the point here. It's not that he listened to his wife. It's what? It's that you listened to your wife and ate from the tree. It's that you listened to your wife to the disobedience of my word. If you're ever wondering how far you should follow anyone in this world, it's up until they start to contradict this word. It's that simple. When somebody tells you something that is not here, it's not true, and you should not follow it. If it matches up here, it's all good. We can go for that. That's what that verse means. It's not who you're listening to. It's that when you're listening to someone who goes against what the word of God has said, that is where sin enters, and that is where we have a problem here. That's what Adam's true problem is. He went against the word of God. doesn't matter who told him to. That's what he did. So because you did this, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. I'm going to go back here. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken... For you are dust, and dust you will return. This is another thing that I think the world tries to pit us against God. The, the, the earth is, is cursed. The actual physical earth is cursed because of this. It, it now, instead of just you know, producing this life-giving vegetation, now we as man, we have to work, we have to sweat. And it's not even just, I'm going to work and it's going to happen. What happens? It's thorns and thistles. 
We know that, don't we? That when we're working in this life, it's thorns and thistles, it's difficulties, it's hardships. And now you contrast that with the world who says, hey, man, the world's the best thing. This is a great place to be. Enjoy the life. This, there's nothing wrong here. They want to hide and pretend like this isn't broken. But it is broken. And we get caught up in that, don't we? We get caught up in the excitement and the building and, and, and there's some joy there. There's nothing wrong with having that joy. But for a second to think that this is the utopia God has designed would be flawed. It's not. We're living in a fallen state and there's so many joys still because we have the remnants of how God created this. But the fact of the matter is we're not here to save this planet. We're not here to save this earth. It is on its way down until the return of Christ. And he's going to come and make it all new again. Get us a brand new one. This one's, I mean, hey, listen, I, I think we should recycle. It's important that we be good stewards of the responsibilities that we have. But I think the people out there that think we're going to save this world, I mean, they can clean it up as much as they want. When the Savior returns, there's, there's no bottles or clean. You're not doing anything about that. When he comes in to reset this place, that's where we need to be focused on. What's, what's coming there? So the earth is cur cursed. We have those struggles. And this is something, too, where we see that prosperity gospel. And, oh, if you just trust Jesus and if you just, you know, tithe and do the right things, Jesus will make your life perfect. That's not here. That, that's not here. Thorns and thistles, it's going to be difficult. Whether you do right or you do wrong, it's going to be difficult through thorns and thistles. This is the way it is. I don't have the fun fact, but there was something like in 1940 where like a, a nectarine or a peach had like 40% of the iron that your vitamins that your body needed, and now it, it has like 10% of that. Like the actual quality of our food is continuing going down, not just because of the man-made stuff, but because of this curse you see here. And then finally, from dust you are, and dust you will return. That's it. Every single human being, we have that all in common. We are going to die. Hopefully I didn't just ruin somebody's day and you just found out. <laughs> This is whether you get a short life, considerably, what we would say, or a long life, we're going to return to the dust as a result of this. Prior to sin, that wasn't, why would God have to say that if that was, if that was already the reality? It wasn't. Prior to sin, there was an immortality to this. Sin brought death. Now go back to what Satan says. Eve says, if we eat it, we're going to die. Satan says, you're not going to die. You're going to be like them, knowing good and evil. In that moment, they disobey God. They died spiritually. That sin separated us from God spiritually. They didn't die physically until what? Adam was something like 900 years old. But that physical death came. So there is both a spiritual and physical death that has occurred because of sin. And it's the same one that we're all still faced with. Everyone is going to die physically, but spiritually... That's a whole nother option. There is a spiritual death, but there's also spiritual life in Christ. So we see that come. And this, I'll just touch on this. This isn't really part of it, but it says here, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. And I, I'd like to believe or like to think that that is in response to what God said about I'll put enmity between uh, the woman's offspring and your offspring. All right, Adam, if, if you would, they realize that they've sinned at this point. And in that, in that almost confession, or in a way of Adam saying, I believe God's promise is naming his wife Eve. And I thought that was kind of a neat little thing there um, because he's trusting in God's promise. All right. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this. I'll just touch on it. Um, Obviously, this is all before the cross had come. Now we're, we're post-cross. We place our faith there. Salvation is found there. Prior to that, and I've had people, maybe you've had some secular, say, well, what about the people before Jesus died? What happened to those folks? Well, their faith was accounted according to the revealed word at the time. Okay, We've got the full revealed word of God. This, this is the start to finish what God wants us to know. And if you want to know what it means to have faith, it's faith in what? Not faith that Jesus is going to, God's going to get you home safely from here, although we, we pray for that as well in the car or traveling, but faith in what is written here. Do you believe these words? Well, when God was speaking with Adam before this book existed, did God did Adam believe God's words? 
When they followed Satan, ate the apple, they were questioning God's word. They weren't so sure God was true. Now they're realizing what a big mistake this is. And you can see here in Adam naming it, now he's going, I'm believing in God again. That faith is counted righteous, and that is the revealed word. So as we go through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, even though they didn't have all this, whatever amount of it they have, if they believed on it and they had faith in it that it was the word of God, they were counted righteous. Make sense? Just in case you have somebody come to you with that one. What about before Jesus? Oh, here we go. Um, okay, so let's see where we went down there, Lord God. Okay, so here. The Lord God, this is another big part here. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of sin, uh, uh, skin and clothed them. So this is the our work versus his work. We realized we had a sin problem. We're trying to, trying to fix it, trying to get back up. We got knocked off the pedestal. We're trying to get back up there. We get a bunch of fig leaves and hide behind a bush. Not great, okay? God comes along, and, and this, is, this is tricky. God says that's not going to do. Because there is sin, there has to be atonement, right? Because there is sin, because God is just, there has to be atonement. And, and, and taking a branch and cover yourself, that's not going to do it. And God actually sacrifices we see an innocent animal here. These are garments of skin. This is the first blood. I mean, I would imagine at this point, Adam and Eve had not even seen blood. You guys ever go to the doctor and they try to tell, I mean, I'm like, they get that needle. I'm like, hmm, I'm done. And here, and we see earlier in the chapters that Adam actually named these animals. Imagine taking your pet, your beloved pet that you've had for your whole life and sacrificing that in front of your children to show them. What needs to be done to cover their sin? This is a traumatic experience that these folks are going through right now. This is a traumatic experience that our Lord went through. This is the picture of the blood sacrifice to come. This is a short-term sacrifice to cover and to atone. This was the permanent sacrifice. Okay? This points to that. All this actually, you know, when we get the, the Mosaic law and, and the Jews and like these millions of animals are being slaughtered year after year after year after year, that was all pointing to this. None of those were lasting. But by slaughtering those animals, they were being obedient to God's commands to make a sacrifice and to be aware and reminded of what is the cost of that sin. Those are his hands. And you get that? Adam and Eve tried to save themselves fix it themselves. It was rejected by God. God, without the help of Adam and Eve, covered them in clothes, in, with the blood and with the animal skins. God did what was needed for them to be redeemed. You get that? God did what was needed. Okay? Then God says another act of mercy. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and live forever. Right? So we had that other tree that, that we had mentioned in there. That God is now saying if, if Adam were to reach out here and take that tree of life, he would basically be stuck for eternity in this place, in this position of sin. And it's interesting because now that Adam knows death is a thing, he just saw what happened to this animal, I could see where Adam might be tempted to avoid that and take this fruit, or whatever it might have been. But God, in his mercy, he banishes them from the Garden of Eden to go work the ground, and after he drove them out, he, pl he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard that tree of life. So basically, he, he protected us from it. And this is something that I think is, I don't want to go too crazy into this, but after God does the saving, after God uh, uh, sacrifices the innocent animal to take the place of what should have been Adam and Eve's death and redeem them, he then makes it in a way that they are protected from going back the other direction. And I, and I think that it's important to understand that once you are saved, once you have placed your faith in Christ, once you've received that eternal life from Jesus, from God, there's no losing it. It doesn't go away. You're not going to do anything. You didn't do anything to get it. You're not going to do anything to lose it. His work, not ours. And here, he's just so merciful with keeping us out of that garden and keeping us in that state. You see, the cast out, right? 
He drove the man out. Or said, the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden. And, I, and that is, understand that's a picture of the Lord's presence and us, or separation. Sometimes people get this confused. God and sin don't mix, right? God and sin don't mix. It's like you ever see those magnets, you try to put them the wrong way, and you just you try to push them together and they, they go apart, right? God and sin don't mix. And people sometimes don't quite understand when, I say, when, I, when you hear that, they don't quite get that, and they say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or I'm, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I do pretty good. No, you don't understand. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. If, if we're intending to earn our way back to a position with God, it is zero tolerance. That means no sin. And the bad news is we're born with sin. There is no human being outside of both God and man, who was Jesus, that made it start to finish without sin. Zero tolerance, perfect life. That was the sacrifice that's accepted. Us, not so much. So man is cast out from the presence of God, and now we're, we've got an issue here. Okay? Ever since we've been cast out, ever since we've real, uh, really lost this, I, I, we've been searching to kind of get back there. And, and, and it's, it's placed in our heart. And I know we've got people that kind of push it down and push it down. But, but I think when people are in the quiet of their homes, when they're really just alone with their mind, they realize something is missing without Christ, without God. They've got, as you've ever heard, that Jesus-shaped hole. Have you ever heard that? Everybody's got a Jesus-shaped hole in their heart. But the, the key is this. Everybody's like trying to fill it with something else, don't we? We try to find, it's got to be something besides Jesus. It's got to be a person. It's got to be, I need a new girlfriend or boyfriend or something like that. Or maybe if I have kids or if I buy that house or if I accomplish this or I accomplish that. We're trying to like get all this stuff. Our, our world is filled with that. Americans are the worst. We're like, we're trying to put it in all this stuff. I mean, we got stuff to keep our stuff in. You know what I mean? I got too much stuff. I get a, a storage unit. We're trying to fill that because you know something is missing, but not Jesus. Because I know it's a free gift and all, but I got I to gotta follow him. I got to believe what he's saying. Gosh, he's saying some things about my life that I shouldn't be doing, and I like doing those things. There's got to be something else out there besides God. Give me a Savior. Don't give me a Lord. I need a Savior. But I, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'd like to be the Lord if I could. I'll take the saver, though. <laughs> it's not an a la carte deal. It's not an a la carte deal. <sighs> For those that seek God, there's really only two approaches that we have as, as men. And this is the two that we're talking about. One, I'm going to do something. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to work for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gain my place back. Or two, God did the work. And I'm going to place my faith in that. Those are it. And you know when people say there's all these different religions, I mean, you got Hindu and Buddhism and, and Judaism and Catholic, you got all these offshoots, you funnel them all down, they're going to land in one of two places. Either you're working and you can earn it yourself, being your own Lord and your own Savior, or you acknowledge you can't possibly do that, and you put your faith in the Lord and Savior. That's it. You can take all those religions. If you guys are studying, uh, studying religion, I'll save you some time. There's two of them. You're either doing it yourself or God's doing it for you. How are we doing? Ooh, it's going so fast. All right. Don't worry, I won't keep you too long. All right, let's look at, um, you got all that so far? We're okay? I'm, see, I, I should, I, I'm used to like, when I do my speaking, I'm used to question and answers, but that's a different, <laughs> different, different environment. We'll hit that again. All right, I'm going to jump to chapter four. That might be page three or four for you on that one, okay? And um, I'll just kind of hit a little bit of this. Let me go one through eight with this, okay? So now we've got the fall. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. We've got this issue. Adam and Eve still have faith in God, and they now, through personal experience, know what it means to disobey God and the consequences of that. They are now going to have offspring, and we're moving into that. These are their kids here, okay? So chapter four. 
Adam, ooh, this said made love. I'm used to the no. Boy, they are getting risky in these versions. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, and later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Okay? Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil, and in the course of time, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Things aren't getting better. And by chapter 6, God just wipes the whole, the whole face. I mean, the, the flood comes in, and it's like, let's just start over. Things are, things are declining very quickly. But let's take a look at the, the picture of these two boys, Cain and Abel. And what I, I would interject here is that the Lord and Adam and Eve most certainly had instructed their boys in what they have lived through at this point, how, where the Garden of Eden was. I'm sure it wasn't a taboo top, topic. I'm sure these boys would have known where Adam and Eve, where their parents had begun and where they were at now. And they're coming to do these sacrifices that are prescribed by God. All right? And it's not a matter of, well, Cain worked in the field. That's unfair. He only had fruits. This is none of the points of that. Okay? But when we look at this, you've got basically the picture of those two approaches we talk about. We've got Cain, who wants the Lord to look at the work that he's done. Here's what I'm going to give you. And you've got Abel that's pointing to the work the Lord has done. Okay? These are our two pictures that we're seeing here. Men have been trying to oppress God with the fruits of their labor, like Cain, and from that time till now, God has been rejecting those. God's rejecting those things that we just bring in and of ourselves. We saw that. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but Cain, he did not look with favor. Both Cain and Abel had faith, but Abel's faith was a response to what God had done. The sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and he brought the lamb to be sacrificed. He was following the pattern that God had let, putting his faith there. Cain's faith was in the work of his own hands. Abel considered what God had done. Cain wanted God to look at what he had done. And we know that because it wasn't accepted. And we have to remember that it's not how much you give. It's not even what you give. God judges what? He judges the heart. He judges the heart. If your heart is in the right place and you give a dollar, you will find favor. If your heart is in the right place and you give $10,000, you'll find favor. If your heart is in the wrong place, that dollar, that 10000 not one million, will buy God's favor. God judges the heart. Where is the heart? And it's interesting that God even tried to point Cain in the right direction. Okay? Cain comes with the wrong offering, and, and, and God tries to point him there. He says, if you do right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do right, sin's at the door. And, and Cain, at this moment, just like his parents, could have had the opportunity to say, you know what? You're right. I didn't do this right. Thank you. And redeem and go and, and follow the way that the Lord wanted him to go. The Lord just said, here's what you should be doing. Do the right thing. You're going to be accepted. There's still time. What does Cain do? He rejects God's word. He becomes angry, furious, the downcast, a fury built in him. I think at that moment he would have struck God if he could, but he couldn't. But do you know who he could strike? God's servant. That's what we're seeing today. That's still continuing, isn't it? Those that reject the truth of God, those that reject this as the only way to salvation wish to silence those of us that are preaching it, that are sharing it. They want us dead. They want us gone. They want to suppress the truth. You see it all over the world now, don't you? Everything's okay until you bring up this guy. 
so-called Christian churches are accepted because they've removed them. They start pulling pieces out of this Bible to fit so we're not receiving that wrath. Uh, Cain, where's there? There's a verse there. Look at that verse. Is it Mark? Let's see Mark 12. Might be a, yeah, I think this is the one. Let me see here. Oh, no, that's that one. Let's look at John. I bet it's John. 1 John 3.12. Yeah. 1 John 3.12. You want to know why Cain killed Abel? 1 John 3.12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. This is happening. Tell you, you want to avoid persecution? If we want to just like lay low, be like the world. They'll leave you alone. You start calling the world out. You start living in a way that's opposed to that. You start telling them that salvation is through one. They're going to ruffle some feathers. They're going to people some, uh, some downright upset people. In this country, we still have some of those protected laws, but what do we see with our brothers and sisters in countries where they're not protected? They are being killed for exactly that. And make no mistake, if you stand for Christ, they would kill us here too. They want to silence it because it points out their wrongdoings. Mm. And what do we hear? In the name of love, as Christians, we should accept all things. No, love the Lord your God above all things. And love is shown in obedience to his word. And yet, I would say, in our fallen state, there is no perfection. That obedience is not going to lead us to salvation, but that obedience is going to lead us to a closer relationship with God and a continued pointing towards the cross. Two religions, one accepted and one not. Hmm. <sighs> Yeah. As we prepare to close, that's my code to Luke. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had the right one because otherwise I'd keep saying the wrong code and he would just be sitting there and I'd just keep stalling until he got up here. No. <laughs> you know, you consider this. When we talk about works and we talk about blood, the, the, the work side of it, the, the, the religion, the false religions of the world, they say, you got to do good works. You got you to perform rituals. You know, you got you to get a bead uh, of necklaces and, and count those beads just the right amount of times. You got to eat in certain foods and stay away from other foods. And these are the things that are going to bring you righteousness. And God will accept you. No. Jesus' blood is what's redeemed you. Jesus' blood is what covers our sins. The works, the religious, they say, don't touch it, don't handle it, don't touch any clean, unclean thing, you'll be holy. No, you're sanctified by the blood of the covenant, that is, by Jesus' blood. We separate ourselves from unclean things, not to become holy, but because we are already holy. But what fellowship does light have with the darkness? The world will tell you, you have to overcome the trials. You got to dress yourself in white, otherwise you're going to be blotted out. Not about you. Jesus is our victory. Jesus took our clothes, our, our crimson, and washed it, washed it as white as wool. The world tells you, say your prayers and have your quiet time, and uh, if you don't do the right things, he's going to lop you off and cast you away. But Jesus said, whoever drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. If you've accepted Christ, if you believe on the words of God, God has reconciled you to himself. Your reconciliation is something he did, not we did. The world tells you, beware of sin, Stay away from sin. Stay away from sinners. Well, we're called to be Christ conscious, not sin conscious. And don't hear me wrong with that. We are to flee from sin, sinful desires and things. But rather than making your focus on the sin, 
just put it there. This is where we're going to. You don't, you don't need to follow this way and look behind you at the sin. You just focus. You follow Christ. You follow his patterns. You read his word. You learn. The world tells you when you sin, you've got to confess it to get sin, to get forgiven again, right? As if it's this repeated thing. As if this sacrifice wasn't enough. And you got to watch out for those faiths. They say, yeah, Jesus is great, and Jesus did die for your sins, but you need a little extra. You need Jesus plus a few things. No. Jesus completed the work. If you're searching, maybe you're wondering what's out there. You know that hole's there. You gotta ask yourself, am I gonna put trust in myself? I don't know about the life you lived, but I know that when I look at mine, if it's up to me to earn my way there, I have no shot. I've got no chance, and that's just what I did so far. Not even what, I, what I'm gonna do, not that I'm planning on it. <laughs> that's even, I'm forgiven from every past sin to the current sin to the future sin. This cross covered all of it. But Satan would have you think you're not good enough. You gotta get it a little bit more together. And you know what? That keeps you from telling your friends about Jesus, doesn't it? I can tell you it makes people like me feel like I, I shouldn't be up here. And the truth is, is if I'm up here in my flesh, it shouldn't be. That's why we focus on the word. This is the truth. This is the way. This is the life. For my new believers, focus on Christ. For my experienced believers, say, well, what's experienced? I mean, I don't have like a timetable, but let's call it three years. You've been a believer for three or more years. You need to be able to give account for what you believe in. I don't know. My, my parents believed it, so I believed it. Not going to cut it. Well, I go to church, and that does not going to cut it. You need to be able to give an account for where your faith is placed. Okay? When, you, when we placed our faith in Christ, done. Our salvation is secure. It is paid for. You're good. But there's friends and family out there that, that don't know that yet. That should be our focus. Enjoy this life that God has given us in this world, this beautiful fall day out here. These are things to enjoy, but there are so many people that need this message. If you've been a believer for any significant amount of time, we need to make sure that we're studying and learning. It's not just enough to learn for ourselves. It's to learn so we can teach and share that gospel with other people. We are the messengers that God has chosen to speak about his son to this world. There is one name, and that is Jesus. I know, I know friends and family in my life too that they reject that, and it's difficult. And it's sometimes easier to talk to a stranger about God than it is about my closest friends and family, isn't it? Because I'm afraid to lose the relationship with them. We've got to pray for boldness in that. Lord would give us that. But I can tell you, even if you're still having difficulty sharing the gospel, we can live it. Live it differently. Follow this word. Place your faith in Christ. And my hope is that people will see Christ in us and ask us where our hope comes from. And when they ask us, where does your hope come from? That we can point them to where we're headed. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness and salvation. We, we thank you for this book, for your word that you've given us to read and to, to learn and to grow close. I ask that you strengthen our faith, Lord. I ask that you, you use this church and the people in this church to reach your sheep that are out there that are lost, that are searching. I ask you to help us uh, as leaders of this church to, to continue to feed the sheep, that we might grow and be better at it, that we might 
be better at serving our congregation, that we might help them to grow, and that they may uh, become disciples and create disciples themselves, Lord. I thank you. I ask that you bless our, our pastor and his family. And bless the elders. You bless this congregation and all the folks that are out there. Help us to reach our friends, our family, and our strangers, whoever you would have us to speak these truths. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us where we were. Thank you that it's not up to us to work to you. Thank you for sacrificing your son to take our place and restore our relationship and our hope that is now in your son to be reunited with you, united with you in eternity. It's boldly through your son's blood and his sacrifice that we, we make these requests. And thank you, Lord. Amen.